Father, we thank you that you have not only shown us the road, but you have shown us how we are to walk on it. And I pray that we would be faithful now to listen to you as we hear words from Jesus about what our lives should look like. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so that was my opening illustration for you adults as well. It really does matter what road we're on. Not, not all roads lead to Fargo. You've got to get on a road that goes to Fargo if you want to get to Fargo. And then once you're on that road, you've got to pay attention to the signs. Now, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount here. We're actually doing a longer sermon series than that. We started in Matthew 1, and we're going to go through Matthew 7. We're in Matthew 7 now, so actually next Sunday is going to be the last sermon in this series. Uh, We're in the Sermon on the Mount right now, which started in chapter 5. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had a lot of things to say to us about how we should live. And as we get close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings his sermon to a sharp contrast. He talks about only two roads. Either you're on one or the other. There's no in-between there. There's only two roads. And it's not that either road is acceptable. He's not just saying, hey, here's two good choices for you. He's saying, no, one leads to life and one leads to destruction. So Jesus' point in saying this, obviously, he's not just saying it as a, as a neutral you know, bystander. He's saying it as somebody who wants to urge us to make sure that we are on the right road and that we are traveling rightly on that road. So our passage today is Matthew 7, verses 13 to 23. And my sermon today is going to have three parts. In the first part of my sermon, I'm going to explain these two roads. And then in the next two parts of my sermon, I'm going to take each of those two warnings and and show you what they are. Okay, so we're going to take it in chunks here. I'm going to start in Matthew 7, and I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So my first point today is that there are only two roads. Uh, I'm I'm not the first one to come up with it. Uh, Neither is John Stott, but I got a quote from him. He says, there are only two possibilities to choose from. Jesus is very clear here. Two roads. Now, a lot of people in our world don't like to think of it that way. A lot of people in our world like to think that there's millions of roads, billions of roads even, and that it really doesn't matter which one you're on because they all lead to the same place anyways. You know, just do what feels right. Don't hurt anybody. Just pick your road and go. Now, if that's the case, there's not much room for a warning like Jesus gave here. A lot of people would like to believe that it really doesn't matter which one you pick, but the Bible gives a very different story, a very clear story, repeatedly gives the story that there are only two roads. In fact, I want you to take note of this as you're reading through your Bible, which, by the way, I hope you're doing regularly, reading through your Bible. I want you to take note how many times it talks about an either-or scenario. It's either one or the other. One is terrible, and one leads to life. A couple examples. Psalm 1-6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And if you read the Psalms, you see this idea all over the place. Another one is in Deuteronomy 30, uh, verse 19, where Moses said, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. 
When it comes to following Jesus and receiving eternal life, there aren't many roads. There's actually only one road that leads to life. And God, in his mercy, has given it to us. It's amazing to me that the people who would like to say that there's millions of roads and it doesn't matter which one, they think that we're being unmerciful to say that there's only two roads, when actually it's Jesus in his mercy who has told us the truth. But there's only one road that leads to life. Now, the other option, the bad one, is the broad road in which the entry gate is wide. Now, it was a little eerie to me to see this called the broad road because I live on Broadway, and I know some of you others do as well. Um, But rest assured, I don't think that Jesus is talking about street names and Fergus Falls here. I think he's talking about a spiritual principle so we don't have to move. Some translations call it the easy road. It's kind of a a difficult word to translate, but the idea is that it's easy because it's broad. And on this easy road, the assumption is that there are no standards to live up to. There's nobody there to tell you you're doing anything wrong. It's like a, a big, wide road with no lane lines and just travel on it however you would like. Now, to a lot of people, that road looks pretty appealing. And we can understand why. Oh, good, there's nobody that's going to tell me I'm doing something wrong. I can just do what I want. Very appealing. But there is one big, huge problem with that road. It leads to destruction. The bridge is very much out on that road. Now, the other road, the one with the narrow gate, leads to life. And here's the deal. God wants to give us life. That's true for the afterlife when we get to spend eternity in heaven with him. That's going to be a wonderful place. But it's also true right now. Did you know that God wants to give you abundant life right now? A life far better than you can imagine on your own. A life with a a power that's greater than your own. God wants to strengthen you to live that life right now. It's the life that is truly life. So that road is much better. Now, there are two things that make this road very different than the broad road. So first, there's a different gate. And the gate is Jesus. In John 10, 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. So the only way that we can get on the right road is if we enter by the right gate. Now, going back to our interstate analogy, there's really only one way to get on an interstate, uh, on the on-ramp. Now, now, yes, you could uh, theoretically drive through a farmer's field and try to plow over that fence and, and get on the interstate that way. But with what Jesus is saying here, there really is only one way. The only way to be on the road that leads to life is to come through Jesus Christ. And I hope that I'm preaching to the choir on that. But if there's any of you out there that don't know that, you must know that the only way to have life is to come through Jesus. And then the second thing that's different about this road is that it's narrow. Now, a better description of that word when it it says the gate is narrow, but the road, a better description there might be difficult. Or even, it can be a word that describes persecution. So Jesus is shooting straight with us here. He says, you know that, that other road, it's broad and easy, but on this one with the narrow gate, there actually might be some difficulty. There might be some persecution that comes your way. But there are some great benefits of this road as well. For one, Jesus is with us. Do you know how we know that Jesus is with us on this road? Because elsewhere in the Bible, he is called the road. John 14, 6. You know that one? Jesus says, I am the 
the way. You know what that word for way is the exact same word as the road. So you could translate this as Jesus saying, I am the road and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus says. Again, it's in his mercy that he has told us about this gate that we need to come through. And the, the great deal then is that once we're on this road, we are on it with him. And like those verses that Brian read, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So yes, there, there is a yoke to carry and there is a burden to bear on this road, but God himself is with us. And remember, we started back in chapter 1, or was it chapter 1 or chapter 2 of Matthew, where we learned that Jesus' name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And by the way, uh, as we've learned from Amanda's story today, it's not like the, the easy road is completely easy. The, the problem with that road is if we have problems and we can't fix them, where do we go? Do you think other travelers on the easy road are going to want to take care of your difficult burdens? But as we travel on this, this road with Jesus, we know that we can come to him and he helps us with our burden. So I'm convinced that that road is the better road. So if that road is better, why does Jesus say that only a few find it while many go through the wrong gate? As I read that, I had a question this week. How many people are going to be saved? I, I'm a statistics guy. Anybody else love statistics? Uh, I, I'm just... Nobody? Really? <laughs> Come on. Okay, thank you. A few. Thank you. Uh, I love... Statistics was probably my favorite class in college. Um, I, I loved it. Uh, I, you know, that's weird for me to hear me say that I loved a class in college, but I, I really did enjoy that class. I still love statistics. I love baseball. Uh, I'm a Twins fan, and this might mean nothing to any of you, but their center fielder, Aaron Hicks, just changed from being a switch hitter to only being a right-handed hitter. I'm just very curious over the rest of the year how are his statistics going to be if he is only a right-handed hitter. I just love this idea that Statistics tell you the truth of things. So as I come to Jesus, and he's talking about many and few, my question is, tell me what it is. What's the percentage? There could be no more interesting statistic in all the world, I think, than to get the answer to this question, how many people are going to be saved? And you know what? I'm not the only one that had that question. In the parallel passage in Luke 13, 23, someone asked Jesus that exact question. Are only a few going to be saved? And, and, and as he's asking that question, my ears are kind of perking up. Jesus, what are you going to say? Are you going to tell us how many? Do you know how Jesus responded in that passage? Not with a percentage, but with an urgent command. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Oh yeah, it's not about how many others out there are going to be saved. The, really, the, the crux of this thing is, have you entered through the narrow gate? And yes, I'm curious, and I think eventually I'll get to know that statistic, that percentage later in heaven. But for now, what Jesus says is, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Our passage today started with a similar command. Enter through the narrow gate. It's a command from Jesus. And more than just being a command, though, it is also an invitation. This is what God wants for us. Now, because it's a command and because it's an invitation, it demands a response from us. I, I heard that, I think I first heard it from Bill Bright, the founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ. He said, the gospel demands a response. If there's only two roads, there's two gates, 
You've got to pick which one it's going to be for you. And here's Jesus. He is that narrow gate, and he's saying to us, enter. Make every effort to enter. So what is it for you? Have you entered through the narrow gate, through Jesus? Now the reason that we have to enter through Jesus is because we need to be saved from our sin. Every single one of us are sinners. There's nothing that we can do to make up our sin to God. The only thing that can be done for us is if we are saved by someone who is perfect. Fortunately, that was Jesus Christ. When he died on that cross, he took our sins upon himself so that if we receive him as Savior and Lord, we can have complete forgiveness of sins. That is the invitation that Jesus gives to you. And then once we've come to Jesus, we are to keep walking with him on that road. It's that way and only that way. So, so that's the difference between the two roads there. Now I want to move on. Hopefully now you're all with me on this, that, that we need to be on that road with Jesus. Now as we travel along that road, I think what we'll see in the rest of this passage is two warning signs. So let's move on to the next section here, verses 15 through 20. Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So my second point today is a warning. Watch out for false prophets. Now, we're all familiar with warning signs as we drive along the road. I was on a road trip once to South Carolina, and as we were driving through a mountainous area, there was a sign that said, watch for falling rocks. And, and you better believe that I started watching for falling rocks. Because if there's a boulder that's coming down that mountain, you're going to want to see it. So you can either stop or speed up accordingly. Now, fortunately, we didn't see any boulders, but I think that a rock actually did fall off that mountain. We, there was like, nobody ahead of us, and all of a sudden, a rock just hit our windshield and, and put a crack in it. The crack is still there to this day. It's fixed, but it's still there. Now, in this section, we see a warning sign, and the warning is to watch out for false prophets. Now, there is most certainly such a thing as falsehood. If there's two roads, then there's truth and there's falsehood. Now, God never lies, and Jesus is the truth, but humans lie sometimes, and we need to watch out for these people who would lead us astray. Because false prophets, what they really want to do is they want to obscure the narrow gate. They want, to, they want to make it look like you don't need to go through that narrow gate. Or if you're on the right road already, they want to try to get you off that road if they can, or at least get you to stumble. The warning is that we're to watch out for such people. Now, there are some things in life that are more important than you might think, and this might be one of them. It matters who you are following. Now, I hope we would all say, well, I'm, I just want to follow Jesus Christ. And we should. That's the whole point, is that we would follow Jesus Christ. But inevitably, the way that this happens, and actually the way that God has set it up, is that as we follow Jesus Christ on that road, we end up following other people who've maybe been on that road for a longer time, or who have some wisdom to give to us. And, and that's actually a God-ordained thing, that there would be teachers and prophets and people to lead us. The problem would be then that we're following somebody and it looks like they're a prophet, but they're really one of these ferocious wolves. 
Jesus told us that we'll recognize false prophets by their fruit. Verses 16 to 19 tell us that uh, thorn bushes don't produce grapes. Figs don't come from thistles. Bad trees don't produce good fruit. Now, don't overthink the analogy. I thought, well, can't a good tree produce bad fruit? But no, don't overthink it. If it produces bad fruit, it's a bad tree. Don't go reaching down in thorn bushes trying to get grapes. You're just going to hurt yourself, and you're not going to find grapes. That's the way it is with these false prophets. They don't have the kind of fruit that God wants them to have. So the analogy is actually pretty simple. What does it mean? Well, I think what Jesus means is that we are to analyze the people who give us a message from God. So that definitely includes prophets, but I think that his, his words here also apply to teachers that we would follow. Because both prophets and teachers are, are giving a message from God or handling the word of God in such a way that they're urging us to live a certain way. So what we're supposed to do is to analyze their fruit says, by their fruit you will recognize them. How do we recognize their fruit? Let me give you three ways here. One is look for the fruit of the Spirit in them. Our lives are supposed to be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The nine fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. So the idea is if you're following somebody and they don't have those things in them, you shouldn't follow them. There's actually another list right before that list in Galatians 5. It's a list of the, the acts of the sinful nature. And if you see those sorts of things in people that you're following, you shouldn't follow them. Now, it's not that we human teachers are perfect, and of course, we're all going to stumble every once in a while, but the idea is if you see the bad kind of fruit and not the good kind of fruit, don't follow them. Are, is their life lining up with what they're teaching? We're supposed to look at things like that. One good example of, well, actually it would be a bad example, I guess, of this, in the Old Testament would be, would be a guy named Balaam. Remember him? God actually used him to speak true words. He was, he was a prophet, and he, he spoke the words of God, and as you read those words, you're like, way to go, Balaam. You really told it like God said it. But all of a sudden, a few chapters later, you learn that Balaam led the people of Israel into sin and wickedness either by the words that he spoke or by the lifestyle he lived. We don't know because it's left unsaid. But the end of the deal is that Balaam was a false prophet because he encouraged people away from God. And that's how Satan works sometimes, is that he uses people to mix truth with a lie to get people to be led astray. So look at the people you're leading. Does their life line up with the teaching of Scripture? Second way to analyze fruit is to ask the question, is their teaching accurate? If somebody sells you an apple tree, you're going to want to see if it produces apples, right? And if not, I, I wouldn't suggest that you go back to that person to buy more trees. For teachers, does their teaching line up with what God has revealed to us in the Bible? We who teach have the responsibility to handle God's word of truth correctly. And you all should be looking for the fruit of that in the, lives of the, in the teaching of the teachers that you listen to. So here's a small checklist of questions you can ask. Do they teach from the Bible, or is it just their opinion? Do they keep going back to the Bible to explain the Bible? I've seen lots of sermons out there where it starts with a Bible verse, and then the next 30 minutes is just a bunch of opinions. I don't think that that's the kind of teaching that we should settle for. 
Do these people seem skilled at handling the Bible accurately? Do you trust them to give a truthful interpretation of the Bible? And then here's maybe the key one. Does their teaching magnify God and exalt Christ? If people aren't urging you to worship God and, and to submit to the Lordship of Christ, I don't know what they're telling you. Now, there are lots of people out there that have you know, lots of self-help tips, and uh, there might even be preachers out there who really their, their message is, is just a message of how you can have a better life in your own power. And truth be told, I just, I just don't get that. I, I don't feel like I have enough to say on my own to be able to have that kind of ministry. So I'm just going to fall back on the Bible and say, this is going to be what I preach from. And I think that you all should demand that from me and from the other people that you listen to. We're told in 1 John 4.1, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. They might look like sheep. They might even look like a preacher. But they could be ferocious wolves intent on harming you. So we have to be careful. So the, the famous Anglican Bishop Ryle of the 19th century said, sound doctrine and holy living are the marks of true prophets. So you look at the people who are leading you. Do they have sound doctrine? Do they handle God's word correctly? And then holy living. Do they live according to what they're preaching? According to what God's word says? You should be analyzing the people you're following. See if they're living up to that. And then the third way, real quick here, to analyze fruit, what's the effect of their teaching? Are the people they're leading better off? So for example, let's say that you move to a new city and you have to pick a new church. Look at the people around you. Does it look like they're, they have a vibrant walk with Christ? If they do, that's a good sign. And if there's good teaching there, that's a good sign as well. So one of the applications here, and uh, not that I'm encouraging any of you to look for a new church, but if you are in a life circumstance where you need to look for a new church, we need to figure out how to do this. So for you, you kids, who eventually you're going to maybe leave Fergus Falls, you're going to have to pick a church. How do you pick one? Well, pick one where the word of God is rightly proclaimed. Pick one where the people love Jesus, love to talk about him, love to worship him. At Cornerstone, God's word is our guidebook. There are people in this congregation that will get on my case if I don't preach God's word. And I am thankful for those people. I, I, I want more of those people here. And the reason that we do that is because we believe that God has wonderful things to teach us. So I, I think that Cornerstone is a good church, but I don't say that because of how good of a leader I am or whatever, how skilled I am. I say it because really our desire as a congregation is to uphold God's word and say this will lead us. We believe that God will lead us as we interact with him through his word, as we humble ourselves before him to, to seek out the truth in his word. We need to be very careful who we follow. Let's figure out how to analyze the fruit. Figure out the teachers and the prophets, whether they're worthy of being followed. Okay, moving on to verses 21 to 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The warning here is don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. If something is wrong, don't pretend that it's not wrong. Jesus' warning in these verses is about living the wrong way. And I think his warning can apply both to the people who are already on the right road as well as to people who are on the wrong road. So let me explain that. So let's say that a person is on the wrong road. And, you know, I, I, don't, I can't look into all of your hearts right now. There's some people here who I just met today. I, I don't know where you're at. But let, let's suggest that there's a, a person who is on the wrong road but they're trying to do the right things. They can see the right road and they're trying to imitate the people on the right road. They might think that, you know, I'm doing the same things as they're doing. The problem is, is that we humans can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're on the right road when we're not. That was, that's what was wrong with these people in verse 22. From the outside, it looked like they were doing the right things. Three times in there, they said that they were doing spiritual things in the name of Jesus but something was terribly wrong with their hearts. And here's the deal. You don't get into heaven just by doing spiritual things. There's a saying, I didn't come up with this one, but I love this one. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's not about doing spiritual things. It's about entering through Jesus. It's about giving your life to him. So it's kind of chilling to me to think that there might be people in this world, maybe even people in this church, who who go to church, who pray, who read their Bibles, but have never given their lives to Jesus. And if that's you, I just want to urge you to consider, you don't get to heaven by doing those things. If you thought it's just about a checklist, if you thought there's just a certain number of things that you have to do before God will finally say, oh, there you go, now you got it. That's not the way it works. We must enter through Jesus. I, actually, I hope that that message would be a relief, a comfort to those people who are trying to earn it themselves because we can't earn it ourselves. Salvation is a gift given to us through Jesus Christ. So please, take a look at yourself and ask if that's you, if you're on the broad road but you've been deceiving yourself. But then also I think this warning can apply to us who are on the right road. And the warning would be that we not get lulled into thinking that we continue on this road simply by our spiritual activity. Again, these people, they weren't pleasing Jesus with their spiritual activity because they were not connected to Jesus. They'd never entered through the gate. We didn't get on this path ourselves and we don't continue on it by ourselves. More and more, I, I love these verses that we close with at Cornerstone every Sunday, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, where part of that says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. We come to him by faith, in need of everything. We can't have life on our, on our own, so we come to him and say, please give me life. Now, if that's how we're supposed to come to him, how are we supposed to continue in him? in desperate need of him to continue to lead us. That's how we live our lives. So what was it that went wrong with these people in verses 21 to 23? Well, Jesus said it was two things. 
First, they didn't do the Father's will, and it actually says of them later that they were evildoers. And then second, they didn't know Jesus. So if we want to stay on the right path and live for Jesus, we need to do the Father's will, and we need to know Jesus. So what is God's will? Well, simply put, God's will is that you would worship him, that you would walk with him and become more like Jesus Christ. That's God's goal for all of us. Now, that means then, as we go through this life, there are spiritual things that we do. So I'm not trying to say that spiritual things are wrong. I hope you haven't heard me say that today. Spiritual things are very good, but only if we do them in a relationship with Jesus. So yes, there are things that we should do, doing the Father's will as we continue to follow Jesus. We should be continually submitting to and obeying Jesus Christ as he leads us. But at its core, this is a heart issue. It's not a matter simply of doing things. It's a matter of belonging to Jesus. So I want to ask a very pointed question, because I think Jesus is giving a very pointed sermon here. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? I want to look at that question from two angles. The first angle is, have you ever entered through Jesus? Again, Jesus is the gate. The only way to life is through him. And in that way, it's like a marriage. Now, you can date a person forever, but until you commit to marrying them, you're not married. Now, in that sense, a marriage is neither the beginning nor the end of a relationship. At least, I hope it's not the end of a relationship. It's just a a drastic change in the relationship. And for Christine and I, we know that date. April 27th, no, I'm kidding. Uh, May 21st, 2005. Just just past nine years now. Um, What happened there is that we had been dating each other and saying, yeah, you know, I, I think I'd like to commit to this person. But then on May 21st, we came together before God and before people and said, I do. And then we were married. So I want to ask the question in regard to you with Jesus. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? Maybe you're seeking, or maybe you've just been kind of hanging out with Jesus. You know, maybe you've just kind of been trying to be friends with Jesus. Maybe even friends with benefits is what you've been trying to be with Jesus. But let's commit. Have you given your life to Jesus? And if you want to do that, what you simply do is come before him, recognize that you're a sinner, ask for his forgiveness, and invite him to be Savior and Lord. Enter through the narrow gate. For some of you, maybe you're thinking, like I was thinking when I was about 15 years old, I remember hearing this message and thinking, God, I'm not sure if I've ever done that. Uh, I remember hearing the gospel message in such a powerful way and thinking, I've never heard it that way before. God, I've always kind of thought that I knew you, but right now I'm not sure. And you know what I said that day? said, God, if I've never invited Jesus to be my Savior and Lord, I want to do that right now. Maybe some of you are at that place right now, but looking back, you're just not exactly sure. And I just urge you to consider the fact that Jesus wants you to be sure. He wants you to enter through that gate. You can come to him by faith. Jesus warns us in here that there are going to be some who think they'll go to heaven, but they won't. Jesus talks about that day in verse 22. He's talking about judgment day. And some people are going to be sent away. But here's the good news. For any of us who have received Jesus Christ, we know that he saves us. And we need not fear that day. 
So have you given your life to him? That's the first question. And then the second question, are you walking with him daily? So this is the one, you know, some of you have been thinking, okay, Eric, I've heard all this stuff. You've said it here many times. Well, let me ask you now, you uh, really spiritual people out there, are you walking daily with him? Are you continuing to seek and rely on Jesus, knowing that he is the only way, that we don't come through him and then go our own way, we come through him and then keep walking with him. So are you living for Jesus, submitting to him, doing what God tells you to do? Are you meeting with him regularly in prayer? Not just asking for stuff, but asking God to direct your life. Are you meeting regularly with him by submitting to God's word? That means reading it on your own and putting yourself in an, in an environment to hear people teach it accurately. Are you worshiping God? Are you taking time out, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the rest of your week, to worship God, either by praying and telling Him thanks, or by singing, or whatever else it might be? Or even, as it tells us in the Bible, to worship God by living our lives for Him, by serving others? Are you committed to the fellowship of believers? And that means not just coming to church on Sunday morning, but being an active part in the life of a church. Now don't misunderstand, we don't earn our way into heaven by doing any of these things. That's what the people in verse 22 had going wrong for them. But it's that if we have truly entered through Jesus, our lives should look like that and we should be bearing fruit. Because God's at work in his children to produce that kind of fruit. In the parallel passage in Luke 6:46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, are you doing what he says? Let's all stop and analyze our hearts right now and say, is there something in my life right now that shouldn't be there? Or is there something that's not in my life right now that should be there? And let's just be honest before God and submit to the Lordship of Christ and keep following him. Jesus gave a warning in here. It's harsh. It has to do about people not getting into heaven. But Jesus gives this warning because he loves us and he wants us to be with him forever. The key is knowing Jesus and following him on the right road. So here's my conclusion then. We are to enter through Jesus and keep following him. And it really is that simple. Enter through Jesus, keep following him. Jesus commands and invites us to enter. So if you have not yet entered, please, today is the day. And I'll lead you in a prayer that you can pray, just like we did for Amanda probably about a year and a half ago. But if you do it, please tell me, okay? <laughs> if you've already come to Jesus, keep living for him. Keep following him. It matters what road you're on and how you're walking on it. So again, make sure to look at your life. If you're not on the right path, get on the right path. If you're on the right path, but you feel like maybe you're stumbling or you've wandered off into the shadows, repent. Come back. God loves it when sinners repent. There's no shame in repenting. The shame is in sinning, not in repenting. So repent if you're off track. Come back to God. We need to be at the right road and keep walking with Jesus. So look at your life. Have you entered through Jesus? Are you following him continually? Are you in a good environment to keep growing in your faith? 
Are you doing the Father's will? And most importantly, do you know Jesus? Would you pray with me? And I'm going to start off this prayer by praying a prayer that you can repeat after me just silently in your heart to invite Jesus to be Savior and Lord if you'd like to. God, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for sending Jesus. I realize that I am a sinner. I confess my sins to you. And I now pray to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. As my Savior who takes away my sins. And as Lord, I now give my life to you. Father, please help me to live the life that you want me to live. Help me to remain connected to Jesus. And please fill me with the Holy Spirit to live for you. And then God, for all of us who are walking on that road, whether we just started a few seconds ago or whether we've been on that road for many years, I pray that we would keep walking, that we would continue to live with Christ Jesus as Lord. That you would strengthen us to follow you. That you would help us not to follow false prophets or false teachers. And that we wouldn't deceive ourselves into thinking that we're walking rightly if we aren't walking rightly. God, I pray that we would honor you by worshiping you with our whole lives and that we would know Jesus more and more every day, growing in our faith, glorifying you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.